0: I want to go to the last chapter of the book of Malachi, and I want you to read one of the amazing highlights, one of the last statements, the closing of the Old Testament. There were hundreds of years that went and lapsed before Jesus came on the scene. Actually, it's amazing that the Old Testament ends with a very hopeful upspin. And it says in chapter 4, Behold, the day is coming, burning like a furnace, and all the arrogant and every evildoer will be chaff. Now, that's not good for them, but it keeps going, and it says, And the day that is coming will set them ablaze, says the Lord of hosts, so that it will leave them neither root nor branch. But you, who fear my name, the sun of righteousness will rise with healing in its wings, and you will go forth and skip about like calves from the stall." The fire that consumes the chaff will will fire up the church. And for us, it will be like a sun of righteousness. It will arise and it will be healing to us. You will tread down the wicked and they will be ashes under the soles of your feet on the day which I am preparing, says the Lord of hosts. Remember the law of Moses, my servant, even the statutes and ordinances which I commanded him in Horeb for all of Israel. Behold... I'm going to send you Elijah, the prophet, before the coming of the great and terrible day of the Lord. He will restore, look at this, he will restore the hearts of the fathers to their children and the hearts of the children to their fathers so that I will not come and smite the land with a curse. Boy, what a blessing that God is going to do something at the consummation of the age that uh, you want to be on the right side with it. But what is happening here is God is setting up the stage or what ended up happening when John the Baptist came on the scene. He had the spirit of Elijah. And uh, we're going to talk a little bit about Elijah. And I'm basically talking about miracles on Friday nights, the miraculous, the supernatural. And I want to just spend a little bit bit of time talking to you about Elijah. And I want to go to James chapter 5 on the other side of the Bible toward the end of the book. And uh, I want you to read verse 17 with me right before Hebrews. And um, James, the Lord's brother, has been inspired by the Holy Spirit to write this. Wait, is it after Hebrews? Yeah, it's after Hebrews. All right, it moved on me. Uh, James chapter five, verse 17. Uh, James chapter five, verse 17 says, Elijah was a man with a nature like ours. And he prayed earnestly that it would not rain, and it did not rain on the earth for three years and six months. Then he prayed again, and the sky poured rain, and the earth produced its fruit. I want to introduce you to an interesting guy. His name is Elijah. Elijah in Hebrew means, hey, I worship Jehovah. That's his name. I worship Jehovah. I, Yahweh, Yahovah, or however you say it, or however you want to say it, Yahweh, Jehovah the true and living God. He comes along in a context where for decades, Israel has lapsed. That First of all, they were divided in the northern and southern kingdom, Judah in the north, Israel in the south, uh, Israel in the north, Judah in the south, Jerusalem was its headquarters. And along came this King Ahab, who married a woman who was a Baal worshiper named Jezebel. And she worked to bring a blend between uh, the prophets and false prophets of Baal and true Jehovah worship into the temple. And God was not pleased with it. And so God assigned Elijah to come on the scene. Now I want you to go to, now that you just read this, Elijah was a man with a nature like ours. And he prayed earnestly that it would not rain, and it did not rain on the earth for three years and six months. I'm, not, I'm going to show you, his prayer was not a whim. He didn't go, man, I'm just going to pray it's not going to rain. He had a real directive from the Word of God, and he was not just uh, self-appointed, but yet he is very mysterious. And I, I like the way he's introduced in the Bible, because I don't really know past my grandparents uh, much about my family tree. And I actually don't care, really. Uh, We don't get a lot of information on Elijah uh, except what it says here, that he's a man like like us. He's a human being like us. And you're going to see that unfold in just a few minutes. And this is going to encourage you that, yes, miracles can happen in your life and mine and ours as we continue to trust the Lord. And I'm not here to say, where are the Elijahs of God? I'm here to say, We're looking to the God of Elijah. Now, God might be looking for some Elijahs, but when you see the ups and downs of his life, you're going to see there's room for all of us and there's hope for all of us. Hallelujah. This is a very inclusive message. And um, he prayed, and then he prayed again in verse 18, and the sky poured rain and the earth produced fruit. Hallelujah. So this is first, we get the first indication of this in 1 Kings chapter 17, verse 1. If you have my Bible edition, it's 525, page 525, but this is the New American Standard uh, Bible, and it says in chapter 17, now, Elijah, hey, I'm worshiping Jehovah, the Tishbite, Elijah the Tishbite, this is the first encounter we have with him, this is his backstory, this is what we get from him. If I was a film director, I'd say, could you please create more backstory for this? Where did this guy come from? He's a Tishbite, that's all I know. That's how God chose it. God wanted to let us know that he could start us at any point. He could take any person and he could, that's yielded to him, and he could do something with you. Amen. Even if you feel like you're a tishbite or a mosquito bite or a termite. <laughs> Elijah the tishbite, who was this, of the settlers of Gilead, said to Ahab, As the Lord, the God of Israel, lives... Before whom I stand, surely there shall be neither dew nor rain these years except by my word. Then he left. That's what we see. And this is in fact the only place where we really where it's recorded, how he prayed earnestly. So in fact, this is a form of prayer. Ephesians chapter 6, verse 18 tells us to pray with all manner of prayer, with all kinds of prayer, one translation says. And I was taught growing up and in my Bible school and from a good teaching that there is a variety of of different kinds of prayer. And we don't need to get into this too much, except that because he said he prayed and it didn't rain, we need to kind of understand prayer. I heard uh, Dr. Bill Winston from Chicago say, when we step over into prayer, we step over into the supernaturally, supernatural when we step over in the in prayer, we get in the presence of God. We start doing business with God. We start doing it God's way. And it says that Elijah was a man like us, a nature like ours, a human being, subject to frailty, highs and lows, and so forth, was, as we'll see. And he prayed earnestly. Well, here's how he prayed. I'm Elijah the Tishbite, and it's not going to rain, thus says the Lord. He came out, and his prayer was a prayer of authority. Uh, some call it a prayer of faith. Um, There's a prayer of consecration. That's the one most mentioned in the New Testament, probably 127 times the particular word about prayer for God, not my will, but your will be done. I dedicate myself to you. We dedicate our kids to you. We dedicate this building to you. I dedicate my day to you. God, I've got a couple choices with which job to go to. I, I pray your will would be done, not my will. Prayer of dedication. It's consecration. It's dedication. It's committal. I commit myself to you. I commit my ways to you. There's a prayer of praise and worship. Notice while we were singing praises, singing about hope, we were declaring how good God is, and he was commingling and inhabiting the praises of his people. Could you sense it? I could. He's a glory and the lifter of our heads. That's a beautiful form of prayer. That's where we say, God, I love you and I worship you. There's a prayer of agreement. Uh, If two of us agree on earth as touching anything they ask, it shall be done for them by my Father who's in heaven. There's a prayer of binding and loosing. You know, there's, there's just different kinds of prayers. This prayer was Elijah saying, as the Lord, the God of Israel lives before whom I stand, surely there shall be neither dew nor rain these years except by my word. Now, he didn't pull a rabbit out of his hat here. He was referencing something that had been foretold by Moses in Deuteronomy uh, chapter 11. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. Let's go back there now. Listen, we are people of the book. We are determined in our time to follow hard after God and not just be just cavalier about things, but really endeavor to, God, what would you have us say? What, how would you have us pray? In his case, listen, the situation was grim. Society had lapsed away from God for a long period of time, and it was going from bad to worse. And where it really started to get sullied, the Jewish people are adamant, about not being assimilated. They want to remain a people. And there was this syn—this word called syncretism. When I was in my 20s, I started to read about this. Uh, for what reason, I don't know, but this was, was something I've studied my whole Christian life, that Elijah was addressing something called syncretism. Be- before we got married, we went on a mission trip to Israel and Europe. We found ourselves on Mount Carmel, where this is where... Uh, Elijah, we're going to read in a moment, challenged the false the four or five hundred prophets, false prophets of Baal. Uh, if your God, let's see whose God is the God of power. You say Baal is. He's the God of fire. He's apparently like from a sun god kind of dynamic. It's, it's rooted in all this idolatry, fertility, and all these kinds of things. And they're espousing all this like this is what he offers. And he, he's saying this is a false thing and this is a false word and you're false prophets and this is going to have to stop right now. And up in this, in in Mount Carmel, by the way, can oversee Megiddo, where the Battle of Armageddon will be. It's up near Haifa. It's it's a very high mountain. And uh, Elijah was up there and and contended with this, and we're going to read it in a minute. But I remember when I was uh, 22 years old and I was standing up on that mountain, these scriptures became so real to me. And this kind of thing about Elijah, about Malachi saying, the, the, the spirit of Elijah, uh, I think that's why when Jesus said, who do men say that I am, the first thing they said is, some say you're Elijah, some say you're Jeremiah, some say you're John the Baptist or one of the prophets. Well, Jer- J- John the Baptist, in effect, represented Elijah. In these end time hours, we're going to see this uh, aspect of God's nature come upon us as a people, us as a church. It is going to be, for us, the sun of righteousness will rise with healing in his wings. We'll go forth and skip about like calves from the stall. Not giddy, not silly, not a circus atmosphere, but very, very deep, very, very sincere, very, very real, very, very powerful, very joyous, but not giddy. Uh, very, very powerful, not affected, not, not an affectation, but it's going to come from a, a very sincere and authentic place because, in fact, God is God, and he is reality, and it is is substantial. Hallelujah. You could bet your life on him. You could trust him. And Elijah certainly did. He said, listen, he said, listen, man, my name is Elijah the Tishbite, and, I mean, as, as real as God is, I'm telling you, it is not going to rain, and it did not rain for three and a half years. But listen. Here's what God forewarned in Deuteronomy chapter 11, verse 16: Beware that your hearts are not deceived. Now, this there are rewards for obedience prior to this in the chapter 11, but then there's a warning about disobedience. He said he would give rain to your land. The Bible says it rains on the just and the unjust alike. Rain is symbolic of tremendous enrichment and of blessing. Uh, It waters the earth. Isaiah 55, he said, he talked about the word. He said, it's like the rain and the snow that come down and replenish the earth and cause the seeds to germinate and plants to sprout. So too shall my word be it. It'll come forth from my mouth and it will not return to be void without accomplishing what I sent it to do. It rains on the just and the unjust alike, meaning people are being blessed that that are ignoring and denying God and yet there's a blessing coming upon them. This is the church age right now. This is an amazing time of the Holy Spirit And in effect, we're all invited into this aspect of the vibrancy and power of the God of Elijah. And it's an amazing indication of what's happening right now. Beware that your hearts are not deceived and that you do not turn away and serve other gods and worship them. See, this Or the anger of the Lord will be kindled against you and he will shut up the heavens so that there will be no rain and the ground will not yield its fruit and you will perish quickly from the good land which the Lord is giving you. This was a warning from the God of Israel to the Jewish people, including King Ahab who would come later on. And he in fact lapsed into this very disobedience. The Lord had to raise up a guy named Elijah the Tishbite to look squarely at this thing and say, no, we're not going to have any more of this blending here. Uh, there's a girl in the church who prayed at the beginning of last year or, or the end of last year, fasted, and got a, a directive about the spirit of the age in the church at large. Even Bill Winston, who we've enjoyed recently, he said, you know, Babylon has tried to come into the church where it's not God-centered. Jack, Pastor Jack Hayford in, uh, in uh, Church on the Way in, 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 in Sherman Oaks uh, in a meeting we were in for pastors, he got up and said, you know, there is something called Christian atheism. And everybody got quiet. There were no amens. He said, that's where you're a believer, but you just ignore God. And you, you, the fool says in his heart, there is no God. Where apathy comes in, even on a Christian. See, these guys were God's people, but but disobedience alighted and they started to drift and their hearts went to duplicity. And in the case of Ahab and Jezebel, Jezebel came in on the scene and was asserting herself Uh, with her false worship with Baal. And it's called syncretism and the Lord did not want syncretism. And the Lord wants us to have a singular heart. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one and you shall worship the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind, all your strength, right? You you and I, we could feel the spirit of the age trying to pull us and vie for our attention, trying to dull us and trying to, and you know, and we don't want to be wild-eyed fanatics either. We don't want to be also, we don't want to be hyper-religionists that are super legalistic well you know what does this really look like well it looks like what we're having right now we're going to God's word we're trusting him we've entered into his gates with thanksgiving and into his courts with praise we're praying prayers of committal we're doing what we know to do we're believing God for his purposes to come to pass and in fact he said these signs will follow those who believe how many of you have beliefs you believe there's a God You believe he raised Jesus from the dead well right there you're already off the chart in radical supernatural right how many of you believe God raised Jesus from the dead and that there's a God and you've never seen him though you've never seen him you love him You, you so you've bet your life on unseen realities that's radical that's radical people want to be radical they want to be in a cause you're in the radical cause Radical, in its essence, as a, in the etymology of the word, means root-like or to be like the original purpose. So when we get on track with God, and I don't mean like we're distracting each other, attention-seeking, out-screaming each other. What we're hearing from God, there's a richness and a tone coming into our spirit. God's activating us and deploying us on, our, on all of our particular designations. There was nobody like Elijah. Even Elisha that came along, he was not like Elijah. Elisha was the one that Elijah ended up uh, prophesying over and putting the mantle on and that kind of thing. In the Old Testament, that's what happened. But he was different from Elijah, and Elisha was different from the next guy. I mean, it's like there are no two of us alike. And yet, the similarity is that Elijah was a man of like nature as us, and he prayed, I don't know what you've been through it. I don't know what you're coming out of, but I'll tell you what's up ahead. For you, the son of righteousness will arise with healing in his wings, and you'll go forth and skip about like a calf from the stall, and you'll be available to the Holy Spirit, and he'll prompt you on things, and you'll obey him. This week, I had a prompting in my heart. I thought about a guy that I was in high school with 50 years ago, and I went camping with up on Mount, and Mount Baldy. His dad was my teacher, my drafting teacher. And he had long hair and he, we, we were friends and I hadn't thought about him for decades. It came up in my heart. I wrote him a letter yesterday. I believe in God for whatever's going on in his life, God will touch his life. That's the God we serve. And I, by the way, don't, I, was, I wasn't on some chat room or anything like that. I was chatting with God in prayer. It wasn't like that kind of thing. It was something God prompted me on. So I want to tell you, the Lord is looking for people that will just listen to him. Apparently Elijah saw this and he said, Lord, what's happening to, this has to be changed. This has to be changed. And um, Elijah didn't just, you know, flippantly blurt out the top of the head prayer. He he, he knew God was saying something to him. And, And so there are miracles that happened in Elijah's life. His origin is, you know, there's nothing really known about his parentage. It's really fascinating to me. And God's kept it that way. Uh, he's one of the most unique and dramatic people uh, really in the Bible history. Yeah. You know, he's rugged and he's obedient and he's, he was the prototype of John the Baptist, which is the prototype of the end time church. Yeah. A person that relies on God, a person that doesn't really particularly rest on their laurels, not somebody that's got this sort of thing, this quasi-identity that's all just uh, all elaborate. It's just like, hey, I'm Elijah the Tishbite. I've read Deuteronomy. This isn't right. I'm taking my stand. And he prayed, and it didn't rain for three and a half years. I mean, there wasn't even dew on the ground. It was that much of a drought. But yet, there were many main event kind of things that we're, we can just look at in the highlights of Elijah there were miracles of that revelation that, hey, I, I see that it's not going to rain. So God will give you a revelation. And um, he's a God that offers revealed knowledge. A spirit of wisdom and revelation is available to us as we seek him and trust him. You know, young parents are trying to figure out where to put their kids in school, what their aptitudes are. Train up a child in the way they should go, generally, and they will not depart from that way. But then specifically, what talents and gifts should we help them with? Are they athletic? Are they logical? Are they musical? Are they, you know, are, are all of the above? And, and then if so, then where, what, which, which development should occur first and how much? And what should we refrain from? Who should, you know, where should they, they go and what should they do? And it's all these kinds of things. Revelation is available. We could actually seek the Lord. He will provide it. Everybody say the Lord will provide. Well, then look, in fact, in 1 Kings chapter 17, and I'll go back to that, I've been flipping all over my Bible, but he said it's not gonna rain, and then the Lord speaks to him and says, okay, now, go away from here. <laughs> that makes sense, doesn't it? He's like, hey, Ahab the king, I'm Elijah the Tishbite, it's not gonna rain for three and a half years, that says the Lord, and then God says, okay, now get out of here, man, and, and turn eastward and hide yourself by the brook Cherith, which is east of the Jordan. The Jordan River runs through Israel from the top up there to get from Galilee up down to the Dead Sea. And the the brook Cherith is east of Jordan, which is now in the country of Jordan. It shall be that you will drink of the brook. I have commanded the ravens, unclean birds, to provide for you there. Now I know something about ravens because somebody found an abandoned crow that fell out of its nest brought it to me, because they knew I cared about animals, and, um, you know, I actually nursed the little bit, the baby bird, it was a fascinating thing, I called the Humane Society, they said, well, uh, you shouldn't have got the bird, you should have just let it stay out there, and you should have, but since somebody got it and gave it to you, here's what you should do, so they're, they're a protected bird, uh, you know, and you're not supposed to have them, but, so I took care of this bird, got it To grow, and I told me to buy wet Alpo dog food. Open up the can, put it on the tip of your finger. Act like you're the mother bird, and you'll come in. And when you walk up to it, you kind of hold your arm out and do like a pecking move, and get up by that bird. And the bird, sure enough, the bird opened up its mouth, and I put my finger there in that bird, and then that bird went and guzzled that thing, took that that my finger, and went and wrapped its beak all the way up on my hand. It was the creepiest feeling. I've ever felt the ins- interior of this bird, baby bird's gullet, and all these muscles reaching in there and eating that eating that dog food. But we bonded, and it thought it was, I thought, it thought I was its mom, and it loved me. And when I would come home from work, it would fluff up its feathers and caw, and I had it out on an clo- enclosed porch, a screened-in porch uh, in our old farmhouse, and we had a window on our, on our front door, and it had a little ledge, and he would hold on to that ledge and look to wait to see me come. And, and he would rub its head up against my face, and, and, and loose, its feathers would be all out, and I would scratch his head, and, you know, and then, and then I started buying its seed and things like that and other kinds of foods for about a year, and then he called in about 40 birds out into the front of the tree, and it was like uh, Alfred Hitchcock, uh, the birds, you know, it was so creepy. It was like I drove up and the whole tree was like carpeted with blackbirds going, ah, ah. And uh, so I let, him, I let him go. And then for about what, even till last week, I've been calling out, rolling down my window, calling. I named him Stuart and I would call out, hey, Stuart. And they just, oh, well, I have, you know, I missed Stuart. He was a great bird. But think about the ravens that brought Emo's pizza to Elijah right? Think about Elijah laying by a a creek in a drought that still has water, and he's getting water, and then he looks up, and these birds that technically are unclean birds, yet God, who is, he's not so religious, God, he's not so religious. He He let David eat the showbread on the Sabbath, and then you know, that kind of thing, and Jesus healed on the Sabbath something like seven, eight, nine, ten times, and um, the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath, where the spirit of the Lord is there's liberty, not to be uh, lazy and sloppy, but just we need to understand what the why of what God's doing, and God makes a point and sends these ravens, and they bring food and drop food off, and Elijah is going, thank you, and they're there, you know, they're the smartest birds of the bird kingdom. They're smarter than birds of prey. They're smarter than parrots. They're smarter than minor. Minor birds are from the crow family, and they're pretty smart. But they brought him food and uh, in the morning and bread and meat in the evening. So see, he had a, that was a pepperoni pizza at night. And he would drink from the brook. It happened after a while that the brook dried up. You know, sometimes the brook dries up. There's a book called, Who Moved My Cheese? You know, a story about a mouse that used to have predictable uh, scenario and then it changed. And uh, the the writer of the book is a simple little book. You ought to get it. It'll help you to be flexible when you go through a hard time. It'll help you to just realize that inevitably, sometimes the brook dries up. So you you gotta be led by the Holy Spirit, right? Because there was no rain in the land. And then the word of the Lord came to him saying, arise, go to Zarephath, which belongs to Sidon, and stay there. Behold, I have commanded a widow there to provide for you. What? He has unclean birds provide food morning and night, and then he says, I've I've commanded a widow to provide for you. God is God, and just when we think we've got it all figured out, he might just say, no, I'm going to have ravens feed you, and then I'm going to have the brook uh, give you water, and then after that, this widow is going to take care of you. Well, we're supposed to be taking care of orphans and widows. But God flipped this, and I'll tell you the reason God flipped, her, flipped it was because he wanted her to get set free from the position she was in. He wanted her to switch from being a consumer to being a producer. But anyway, listen to this. It says, he went to Zarephath, in verse 10, and he came to the gate of the city. Behold, a widow was there gathering sticks, and he called to her and said, please get me a little water in a jar that I may drink and she was going to get it, he called to her and said, please bring me a piece of bread in your hand. But she said, quote, as the Lord your God lives, I have no bread, only a handful of flour in the bowl and a little oil in the jar. And behold, I'm gathering a few sticks that I may go in and prepare for for me and my son that we may eat it and die. She's in a bad place. Yeah. But God sent the prophet there and and, and, and he put a demand on what she was capable of and, and the opportunity for her to give and stretch her faith and participate in something that was actually going to become an amazing point of history, Jewish history, and for that matter, uh, the, the, the history of humanity. She was being included into it, and she was suffering, and she was preparing to die, and it was morbid, and she had lost her husband, and she had one child. And Elijah said to her, do not fear. And that's what God's saying to us on all steps, all the way down the line. That's why at the end of Malachi, it's like, good news, man. He's going to restore the hearts of the sons to the fathers and the hearts of the fathers to the sons. You're going to see an an abounding element. Yeah, the world's going to burn and things are going to be rough, but for you, the son of righteousness will rise with healing in in his wings. You're going to go forth and skip about like a calf from the stall. You're going to see favor come upon you. You're going to see joy come upon you when there's no reason to be happy. You're going to see power come upon you when you feel like everything around you is depleted you're going to see provision through peculiar means like a raven or a brook or a widow and so then elijah says do not fear go do as you i have as you have go do as you have said but make me a little bread cake from it first and bring it to me bring it out to me and afterward you may make one for yourself and for your son Now that almost sounds abusive, except that the Lord is leading him to do this. It almost sounds opportunistic, but it's not, because there's a principle here, where God is, this was not, I'm sure, not easy for Elijah, and it was certainly not easy for the widow, and it's not even comfortable for us to see this, and yet, there's something very powerful about it. For thus says the Lord God of Israel, the bowl of the flour shall not be exhausted, nor shall the jar of oil be empty, until the day that the Lord sends rain on the face of the earth. So she went out and did according to the word of Elijah. And she and he and her household ate for many days. (laughs) We serve the God that multiplied the oil and the flour. We serve the God that multiplied the bread and the fish. We serve the God of the resurrection. We serve the God of the ascension. We serve the God of the, the outpouring of the Holy Spirit and the word of God. We serve the God that is more than enough. So she went out and did it. They ate for many days. The bowl of flour was not exhausted, nor did the jar of oil become empty according to the word of the Lord, which he spoke through Elijah. Well, apparently there had been a point of such fatigue on the young man. It came about after these things that the son of the woman, the mistress of the house became sick. It was probably just beyond. He was so his dad had died. It, there was a famine in the land, uh, drought, and he was suffering. And he got sick, and his sickness was so severe that there was no breath left in him. That means he died. So she said to Elijah, "What do I have to do with you, O oh man of God? You you have come to me to bring my iniquity to remembrance and to put my son to death." And that's how she felt, and she was hurting. People hurt people hurt people. People jump to these kinds of conclusions, and Elijah experienced this. You're going to experience this kind of misgiving sometimes. He said to her, give me your son. Then he took him from her bosom and carried him up to the upper room where he was living and laid on him on his own bed. He called to the Lord and said, oh, and then listen to what he said, oh Lord, my God, have you also brought calamity to the widow with whom I am staying by causing her son to die? So even Elijah is tapping into the very same sentiments of the lady like what is going on Lord and he's praying you know he's got this kid and he's going oh God he's like God do something for this kid and you know in just this close proximity then he stretched himself upon the child three times and called to the Lord and said oh Lord my God I pray you let this child's life return to him so he's praying earnestly Now we saw the earnest prayer he prayed that it would not rain and it didn't rain. He said, I'm Elijah the Tishbite and it's not going to rain. It's a prayer of authority. Job called it, you'll decree a thing and it will come to pass. There's something when you have the word of God on something and the Holy Spirit is prompting you specifically on something and you've got uh, uh, an assurance in that and the Holy Spirit's helping you with that, I'm telling you, mountains move. But see, the prayer of of, of consecration and committal and dedication is the one most emphasized, 127 times. You know, the word for intercession is only mentioned in the Greek one time in the New Testament. There is so much elaborate, uh, fantasizing, and so many elaborate interpretations about uh, about intercession. But really, the thing, the thing Jesus, God's telling us 127 times, would you be stay dedicated? Will you stay focused? Will you stay committed? Will you say, not my will, but thy will be done? And keep your heart like that. That's what I think is happening with Elijah. We don't know much about his past, but he comes on the scene. I'm Elijah the Tishbite. I don't know what, we don't, still don't know what his parentage is. We, don't, we still don't. And listen, he is one of two people, he and Enoch, who never died. They went up alive. What a trip! They took the rapture out of context because of some kind of radical blessing on their lives. It's radical, it's radical. People want to be radical, but look at this. The Lord heard the voice of Elijah, chapter uh, 17, verse 22, and the life of the child returned to him and he revived. This is the miracle of healing. There was a miracle of revelation There's a miracle of provision with ravens and water and then the widow and the oil and the flour. Then there's a miracle of radical healing, raising of the dead level. And he revived. And Elijah took the child and brought him down from the upper room into the house and gave him to his mom. And Elijah said, see, your son is alive. Then the woman said to Elijah, now I know that you are a man of God and that the word of the Lord in your mouth is truth. So see, you know, people are always looking for signs and affirmations and confirmations, but still, God confirmed His word with signs following, right? So then, God has Elijah confront. Now we won't have, take time to talk about when Obadiah met uh, Elijah, because we'll be reading two chapters of the Old Testament. But I want to go and and you could read that later and get enrich yourself in this. Start with James chapter five, verse seventeen and eighteen. Read about Elijah. See Elijah is bumped into the New Testament in many places, and he—it's the spirit of Elijah. It's this—it's this tonality about the church that God's trying to bring upon us after this in the season that we've come through. We're in this moment right now. The Holy Spirit is pouring out and stirring. It's a wonderful time to be alive. So here. Remember what I said about syncretism, about Baal worship. It's wicked. It's idolatry. and God has, has a very adamant resistance to idolatry. And so, if you read verse 20, it says, Ahab sent a message among all the sons of Israel and brought the prophets together at Mount Carmel. Elijah came near to all the people and said, How long will you hesitate between two opinions? How long will you halt between two opinions? It says in the King James, if the Lord is God, follow him. If it's Baal, follow him. But the people did not answer him a word. And that is, in fact, the stagnation that occurs in pluralistic relativistic times, syncretistic times. People go, I want to ride the fence. You know, maybe it's this, maybe it's that. Who are you to say this or that? Listen, God is God and he's bringing definition during the time of Elijah. It's foretold that from Malachi at the last chapter of the last book of the end of the Old Covenant, the statement that, hey, God is going to send Elijah, things are going to change. The voice crying in the wilderness is crying. Prepare, get ready, get ready, get your heart tuned in. Start believing for signs and wonders. Start believing for the word of knowledge. Start believing for the miraculous. When you lay hands on people, trust God for the miraculous, for people to have life extensions, healings, deliverances. Come on. So Elijah said, look, man, we're not going to have any more of this. And he got him up on this big, beautiful mountain, Carmel. And he said, you make a decision who you're going to serve. And, uh, you know, I think about Joshua said, you want to follow these gods, you can. But as for me and my house, we'll serve the Lord. Bob Dylan wrote a great song. You're going to have to serve somebody. It may be the devil, it may be the Lord, but you're going to have to serve somebody. And the lines get drawn. The lines get drawn. And now let them... Give us two, he said, Elijah said to the people, I alone am left a prophet of the Lord, but Baal's prophets are 450 men. Now let them give us two oxen. Let them choose one ox for themselves and cut it up and place it on the wood and and put no fire under it. And I will prepare the other ox and lay it on the wood and I will not put a fire under it. Then you call on the name of your God and I will call on the name of the Lord and the God who answers by fire is God. And all the people said, that is a good idea. <laughs> so Elijah said, that would have been a fun moment. Then Elijah said to the prophets of Baal, choose one of the oxen. You pick whichever one you want. You prepare it uh, first for you are many and call on the name of your God and put no fire under it. So he let them have their first, he let them out of the gate first. You go ahead and go first. Flip, you know, he didn't even flip a coin. He just said, you go ahead. Then they took the ox which was given to them and they prepared it and called on the name of Baal from morning until night, saying, oh, Baal, answer us. Uh, But there was no voice and no one answered and they leaped about the altar which they made. It came about at noon that Elijah mocked them and said, call out with a loud voice for he is, uh, if he is a God, either he is occupied or gone aside or is on a journey. Now, if you want to really get some interesting reading, look at this in the original writing and see what he's actually saying here in his mockery to their, this idolatry. I won't bother with it right now, but you could read it. Uh, you should look it up. You could Google it. Uh, it'll fascinate. Do you want to know? Look it up. Okay, listen. Or it, your God is going to the bathroom is what he was basically saying. Or is it's a mockery? Or or is or is on a journey, or perhaps he is asleep and needs to be awakened. And so they cried with a loud voice and cut themselves according to their custom. There's The part of that was ritual cuttings and stuff, with swords and lances until the blood gushed out of them. That's, that's, that's not what God requires of us. With midday, When midday was passed, they raved until the time of the offering of the evening sacrifice, but there was no voice, no one answered, no one paid attention because there's no such thing as Baal. Then Elijah said to the people, come near to me. So all the people came near to him and he repaired the altar of the Lord, which he had torn down. Elijah took 12 stones according to the number of the tribes of the sons of Jacob to whom the word of the Lord had come saying, Israel shall be your name. So with the stones, he built an altar in the name of the Lord, and he made a trench around the altar, this is very important, large enough to hold two measures of seed. Then he arranged the wood and cut the ox in pieces and laid it on top of the wood, remembering there's no fire under it. And he said, now, and he went even further, fill four pitchers or big jars with water and pour it on the burnt offering and on the wood. That's not kerosene. That's not uh, lighter fluid. That's water. And he said, do it a second time. Soak it, double soak it. And they did it a second time. And he said, do it a third time. And they did it a third time. The water flowed around the altar and he also filled the trench with the water. So this is not, I mean, he's made it where God, it's got to be God. And I feel like Isn't your life, isn't my life, isn't our life, isn't the church right now, isn't our church right now, isn't society right now, where it's like waterlogged three times, and it's like, God, we have got to have God. And there are no gimmicks, there are no techniques, there are no methods. And man, we turned away from Baal a long time ago to seek and serve the living God. And we are trusting him. And man, these are interesting times. The fire is coming. It's going to consume some folk. But for us, the son of righteousness is risen with healing in his wings. That's why we've got to get as many people saved as possible. And one verse says, snatching them out of the flames. That's, That's how serious this is. Our God is a consuming fire. And that's why he said, you call fire down, I'll call fire down. Let's see what happens. At the time of the offering of the evening sacrifice, Elijah the prophet came near and said, O Lord, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, today let it be known that you are a God in Israel and that I am your servant and I have done all these things at your word. Answer me, O Lord, answer me that this people may know that you, O Lord, are God, and that you have turned their heart back again. Then the fire of the Lord fell and consumed the burnt offering and the wood and the stones and the dust and licked up the water that was in the trench. You think things are hopeless? How, How are we gonna get through this? What is gonna happen for our families, our kids, our jobs, our society, our schools? What is gonna happen? God is gonna be God. Remember, I started out with Malachi, the last chapter. Man, the spirit of Elijah is going to come, and he's going to restore the hearts of the sons to the fathers and the hearts of the fathers to the sons. He's going to bring a healing. There's a hope component to the, in the midst of this. There's a joy component. There's a, there's a lift potential to this. For you, the son of righteousness will rise with healing in his wings. You'll go forth and skip about like a calf from the stall. You ever see, ever seen a calf, calf born? I was in a dairy farm in Wisconsin visiting, and I happened to see a calf be born. And they come out, they stand up on their hooves, and the mom licks them and cleans them, and then the farmer said, hey, go get that calf and carry it from point A to point B. I need you to help me. And he, like he made, it was like all of a sudden I didn't know I was in a dude ranch, and he, and I, he wasn't wanting me just to hang out. And he needed help. So I went and I got the calf. The calf was still sticky. Cat, the calf looked over at me and had these big, beautiful eyes. And then the calf's dad came around the corner, and this bull came around the corner. And then I felt like a matador with a red cape, and I was holding his little baby. And that bull came out and went. Rrr! I mean, I could see the, you know, the shoulder roast and the, you know, the. I mean, it was like, it was crazy. But that calf, when I put, I got the calf out of there and I put it down. It was running all around. And it's like a calf from the stall. Individually, a buoyancy is coming to each one of us. God's looking for people that will just lift up and realize, okay, God, you are God. You're bringing definition right now. You're bringing refinement right now. And you are the God of a, that is a consuming fire, according to Romans chapter 12. And God, I thank you that you are answering from heaven with fire. You can cause a wet sacrifice to be ablaze in a moment. You could cause a dull, depressed person to be lifted in a moment. You could turn a societal devastation around in a moment, in a split second of time. And so he ordered that these false prophets be killed and made uh, 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 Jezebel mad. He girded himself up in verse 46. The hand of the Lord was on Elijah and he girded up his loins and outran Ahab to Jezreel. Some people say that was between 17 and 36 miles. But he outran a chariot. A chariot is drawn by a horse. Horses are faster than people. But yet not in this case, because when the hand of the Lord gets on you, it can turn a thing around. That's why with Jabez, that prayer of Jabez, that people prayed so much over the years, God, that you would bless me indeed. That you would you would, you would expand my borders. That your hand would be upon me. That, that you, you know that you deliver me from pain. And, and, and when you have God's hand on your life, it, God will provide for you, ravens will feed you, water will come to you when, when it's in a context of a drought. He'll, he'll inspire a widow, something that's so convoluted, and yet it, the paradox of it is important that we understand. His obedience, her obedience, the, the, the faithfulness of God, even when they, the, the woman and, the, and even the prophet were upset that the boy died and they were blaming it. God, is it you? Did I do it? Did she? And, it, and doesn't that feel familiar? Doesn't that seem like, wow, he's a man of like nature as us. And yet he prayed. See? These signs shall follow those who believe. In my name they'll cast out demons, they'll speak with new tongues, they'll lay hands on the sick and they shall recover. They'll pick up a serpents and, and drink any deadly poison and it shall not hurt them. Paul shook a serpent into the fire. He didn't play with snakes like in Appalachia. That's not what it's talking about. That t- tempting the Lord God. He got bit by the serpent while he was try- simply trying to serve. Every Christian has been bit while they were trying to serve and you've had to shake the serpent in the fire. Some of the best snake bites happen while we're serving in the midst of our obedience. Paul was serving people and building a fire for people, and he got bit by a serpent while he was collecting sticks to build a fire to bring up warmth and blessing. That happens to people in leadership, and when they try to gather things and they get bit, and yet you just have to shake the serpent in the fire. You just have to continue to press on. But notice the faithfulness of God, even when Elijah said, God, are you mad at me? Is this that it happened because I'm here? And he had confusion about this. And then he has all these miracles happen. He purges Israel of Baal worship. And then Ahab told Jezebel that Elijah had what he had done and she, how he had killed the prophets with a the sword. Then Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah saying, so may the gods do to me and even more if I do not make your life as the life of one of them by tomorrow about this time. A death threat from this evil, false queen, Jezebel. And what happens? It puts Elijah into a depression. He was afraid and arose and ran for his life. He went from out running a chariot, a high, to running away from the... the the threat of this evil woman, a low. You ever have highs and lows? He's a man of same nature as us, and yet he prayed and God answered his prayer. guys with me? I hear some music, they're playing so fast, I'm preaching even faster. That's genius uh, uh, tempo. It's like, preach faster, Pastor Ja. It's getting to be bedtime. You wanna hear the rest of this? Read it, read it for yourself. Read chapter 19 and read about how faithful God was in the still small voice.